My Family Thinks I'm Crazy, a podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most, because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that our government is shady, but every time I do, my family thinks I'm crazy. Jim Carrey, the man who made the world laugh, cry, and question reality. Behind the infectious laughter and elastic expressions lies a tale of highs and lows, a narrative that blurs the lines between sanity and brilliance. But what happens when a man, known for his comedic genius, takes a detour into the realm of existentialism and enlightenment? Join me, Mystic Mark, and today's guest, Julia, from the Cosmic Peach Podcast, as we peel back the layers of the man who became the mask and discover the intricate dance between genius and madness. From the Truman Show to the Truman Within, Jim Carrey's story is a mosaic of contradictions, a symphony of laughter and introspection that echoes through the corridors of Tinseltown. And I'll see you on Patreon or Substack for the full extended edition of this episode. Don't miss out. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy this episode of the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast with the Cosmic Peach. Wait, tell me, is it true you're wandering the streets? You need a date to the party? What's up? No, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm doing just fine. Uh, I just, uh, you know, there's no meaning to any of this. So I, I wanted to find the most meaningless thing that I could fu- come to and join. And, uh, and, uh, and here I am. They're celebrating- I mean, you gotta admit, it's completely meaningless. Well, they say they're celebrating icons inside. Celebrating icons. icons. Boy, that is just the absolute lowest aiming, you know, possibility that we could come up with. It's like icons. What do you, do you believe in icons? I don't I believe be- in personalities. I don't believe that you exist, but there is a, a wonderful fragrance in the air. You don't believe certain icons have the power to make change, to think differently, to be bold, to inspire others? Artistry? You're one of them. On the good foot. Ha! Yeah. You shut it down now. Yeah, no, I, uh, I, I don't believe in icons. Uh, I don't believe in personalities. I believe that peace lies beyond personality, beyond invention and disguise. Beyond the red S that you wear on your chest that makes bullets bounce off. I believe that it's deeper than that. I believe we're a field of energy dancing for itself. And uh, I don't care. But Jim, you got really dressed up for the occasion. You look good. 
No, was I didn't that an get accident? Up. I didn't get dressed Who up. Who did? There is no me. There's no you. No. We're not here. This is a dream. There's just things happening. And there are clusters of tetrahedrons moving around together. Okay. Yeah. So what's happening in our world right now? Because there is a lot of news that actually is relevant that's not that Here's uplifting. Here's the thing. It's not our world. None that's of this is key. real? Nope. nope. So you're just passing We don't through. matter. We don't matter. Oh, wow. There's the good news. Okay. Like you don't know what it is. You don't know what that is. I have no idea. Well, you don't know. Jimmy Fallon doesn't know. David Letterman doesn't know. Well, we don't know. All the comics and show business don't know what this is. <laughs> right? Yeah. What is it? Come on, Jimmy. Seriously, the time is up. People are hip to this kind of stuff. I, I'm here tonight to blow the lid off it, to be the whistleblower. I'm sick and tired of the secrets and the lies. It is the secret symbol of the Luminati, and you're a part of it, and it is it, the all-mocking tongue. Thanks for being here. All right, ladies and gentlemen, here we are back again on the My Family Thinks Some Crazy podcast, and I am so excited to have our next guest coming all the way from the Cosmic Peach podcast. She is the one and only Julie. Welcome to the show, Julie. It's a pleasure to have you here. I hope I, I'm not supposed to be saying Julia. My mind just went blank there for a second. No, it's funny, actually, because my family calls me Julie, and it's a term of endearment because they just don't want to put that extra little on the end. <laughs> Julia <laughs> from the Cosmic Peach. Julia. But no, my entire family and all my close friends call me Julie or Jules or whatever. They come up with some type of term. But no, thank you so much for having me. I've been really looking forward to this. We have never worked together before, so hopefully I can bring the fire yeah. for your listeners tonight. Yeah, I'm excited to have you here and uh, just to sort of give the f new listeners or maybe folks who haven't heard you before, give them a little background on who you are and what you like to talk about on your show. Obviously, conspiracy and all this weird stuff that we're sort of accustomed to from this podcast but what what kind of prompted you to to start your show and what inspired you to get involved with all this so i have i always tell everyone that i have kind of a hybrid podcast because i talk about conspiracy theories but i also like to talk about true crime because people overlook the fact that a lot of true crime is conspiratorial in nature and so I do cover true crime. I also cover paranormal activity and cryptids, crawlies, anything you can think of. I also like to break down cinema. So I'll pick a movie each month and I break it down and go over all the dark occult aspects of that movie that month or an, a specific actor, for instance, Jim Carrey. And I'll break down the movies he was in, his personal life and so on and so forth. So I love horror movies 
And I love breaking down horror movies because, and I don't know where you stand on them. A lot of people think they're demonic or whatever, and that's fine. They probably are. But I grew up watching The Exorcist and Friday the 13th and Halloween. So I do, and Star Trek. I've also done episodes on Star Trek. So things that I loved from my childhood that have turned out to be either stuff hidden in them that I never recognized before until I became a conspiracy theorist. And I try to pull all that out and show people the truth behind it. But I actually got started down the whole conspiracy theory journey because my mom was a conspiracy theorist. And when I was little, she would say stuff like Lee Harvey Oswald did not kill President Kennedy. And I was like, really? And she was like, yeah, but that's between us. Like, don't go to school and say that shit. And I was like, okay, okay, I have a cool mom. But she would read like conspiracy theory books and she would download all this information into me as a kid. And I was like, oh my God, it's so obvious. And she liked to watch ghost adventures and stuff like that. And I actually have had a lot of paranormal experiences in my life. So when you've seen something personally that you can't explain, your mind starts expanding right off the bat because you understand that there's so much more to our reality than what we have been led to believe. Mm. And I actually went on another person's podcast and just kind of uh, told them all about my conspiracy theory beliefs and my paranormal experience that I've had. And they said uh, something to the effect of you should start your own podcast. It sounds like you have so much to share. And at the time, I was not really considering it seriously. But then I thought I might as well just try it. And the rest is history. And it's been a journey. I'll say that for sure. I love it. Yeah. And what, what were the nature of some of those paranormal experiences you had when you were younger? Poltergeist, cryptids, like what, what kind of... Yeah, uh... it's a little bit of everything. But what's unique about my experience is that I actually went through all of it with other family members. So it wasn't just me who was acutely affected. My cousins, my mom, my aunt, my siblings, we all used to see things and it would follow us from house to house. So it wasn't just one house we were living in. And when people came over to visit, they saw stuff. It kind of collectively went wherever my family was. And we would, for example, be at my grandparents' house And we would see each other walking around. And my family is the kind of family where we had an open door policy. We never knew who was going to be at my grandparents' house. You just walk in, you grab a snack, you go to the couch, you watch TV. They don't even, you don't even like say, hello, I'm here. You just walk in and it was just, that's how I grew up. And so it wouldn't be odd for me to be over there and see my cousin Brooke walking by. And or my sister or my brother, whoever. But if you called out to them, if I was in the living room, for example, and I saw Brooke in the kitchen and I was like, hey, Brooke, get me a little Debbie or something. She would look at you in the eyes and it was almost as if they were acknowledging me 
but not responding and then go back down the hallway. And then you'd go back down the hallway and you'd find out Brooke wasn't in the house at all. So it was multiple family members that it would take the identity of, though, not just my one cousin, Brooke, but we would think we saw like my aunt or my grandma or my mom. And it wasn't them because they were not even in the house at the time. And my aunt actually had an encounter where she saw my mom sitting on the couch and like went to go talk to her and whatever it was looked at her and would just like start speaking in a different language. And my aunt was very religious. She started praying and crying and ran out of the house and wouldn't come back in. And this kind of stuff like happened where at whatever house we were in, mm. like weird stuff like that would happen. Now, you, you said and it wasn't it was weird. You said it wasn't predicated to any one particular house, but without giving away your exact location, unless you're comfortable with that, what general area of the country do you live in? To kind of give people a picture of like where, where you're from. That's interesting you say that because I do think it's significant in some way. We lived on Lake Erie oh, wow. in Cleveland, okay. Ohio. So I'm not I do not live in Ohio anymore, but that's where it happened. My grandparents' house was actually maybe a mile from the beach. Mm. So water holds memory. And I know that Lake Erie is a hotbed actually for paranormal and UFO sightings. So it even it's, shares the 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 homonym eerie like eerie is is yeah. it's a place and it's a weird feeling. So, yeah, I mean, I couldn't think of a more appropriate name for that lake. And I have heard strange yeah. stories from that area. I, I've only been through that part of the country once and it did feel like it wasn't quite Ohio. It wasn't quite New York and it wasn't quite Pennsylvania. Like it was own, its own mix of the three. Mm -hmm. Yes. And space. It's really, really, really cold in the winters. You know how that is. And it's super like humid in the summer. I mean, there it has its perks. It's beautiful in the fall, but any other time of the year, it's kind of wretched. And so... I, I mean, I kind of liked living there. I don't necessarily miss it. I do miss my family because I'm in Oklahoma now. So it's not like I can just get in the car and, and go drive 16 hours and go see them. But what's weird about the whole situation, like with my family, is there was this reoccurring thing where weird shit would happen to us every three years. And as we all kind of had paranormal experiences and we all talked about it at one point together and would say, hey, wasn't Mama's house like really creepy? And one person would tell a story and then I would tell a story and then the other person would tell a story. But then they were like, yeah, but the other house was like that, too. So it kind of followed us. But we got in this weird patch of life where every three years a family member was dying in a mysterious way or some horrible tragedy was striking our family every three years to the season. It was either October, November, or December. Every three years, something horrible would happen. And people think that I'm exaggerating when I say that, but it literally went like this. My aunt died, my grandpa died, my grandma died, my mom died, my other aunt died. 
every three years. In the fall. In, wow. In October, November, or December. Wow. That's really and so well, it, it was and they were all relatively young, Mark. I'm I'm gonna say my mom had just turned like fifty-six. Huh. Wow, I'm sorry to hear that. It, well, it, yes, it's very tragic. But the thing is I always look at that and I see this weird like current throughout our family. Well, we all have paranormal experiences. They all died three years apart in the same season. It's just weird. Well, as you're describing this, what comes to mind for me is a concept that John Keel sort of arrived upon as he was trying to make sense of all the Mothman sightings and one of the things that came up on a podcast I was listening to where they were kind of going through John Keel's work was he started to get the sense that the it wasn't the areas where the people lived, but the people themselves that were responsible for these encounters. Not that they were causing them, but they were psychic enough to perceive them. And that was the common denominator between everybody involved in these really weird Mothman encounters is that they had some sort of existent psychic phenomena that preceded and followed that event which is very strange and it also had a ton of tragedies obviously the bridge collapse and all these other things that were associated with that so not to go down a, a tangent but i think there's well, a theme very here true and i'm glad you said that because even with point pleasant in the bridge collapsing it was that was like the pinnacle mo moment of a bunch of stuff building up mm. and I think as human beings, and this phrase is commonly said, but we are a species with amnesia. We don't know where we came from, really. We don't know who we are, what type of power we possess. And some people are just innately more sensitive than other people. And I actually think more more families should do a family tree and like go back in time and see who they came from. Mm. And we recently, my cousins and I had this family tree that was going all the way back to, I think my family came over from Ireland on my mom's side, but my great, great grandfather was a mountain man who had shamanistic abilities and people would come from all over to have that have him lay hands on them and heal whatever was wrong with them and i didn't know that his name was troy he lived in a hut with no electricity grew his own food lived on the land and then he obviously my grandma was that was her dad, and she told the stories about it, but I really never heard it from her mouth. It was something that my sister told me when we started doing this family tree thing. And I almost wonder if some of that doesn't pass down in a family, like generations. And then over time, whether you know the story or not, you start realizing there's something kind of wrong with you that maybe other people don't have these problems do you see ghosts no i don't oh it's just <laughs> me okay well yeah i think there are certain families that carry these mm -hmm. whether it's genes or abilities or however we can quantify it yeah that's fascinating was your great great 
great grandfather in the Appalachian Mountains. It sounds like some Appalachian folk type healing. Yes, he was. He lived in the Appalachian Mountains in Kentucky, actually. And then my grandmother met my grandpa and he moved them to Cleveland, Ohio for better work opportunities Mm. because he didn't want to be a coal miner Mm. because that's really all you could do out there. So they moved to Cleveland, but it's just interesting. People should really look into their their past and see what was going on back then. I won't even get into the Nephilim and all the bloodlines <laughs> and stuff, but I'm sure there's some shit like that tied into almost every human being on Earth right now. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's interesting, especially. I mean, this is a side tangent. Mm. I really, really, really want to kind of give the listeners a taste of what I do over on my podcast. So now that you know a little bit more about me... I would love to kind of take you on a journey through some research I did on the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Jim Carrey. Yeah, we we definitely should talk about Jim. But before we get to Jim Carrey, I'm interested in your movie research, considering obviously we're going to be talking about it with Jim Carrey. But you you said you, you reviewed a couple of movies before that and Halloween's coming up. Are there any... Because I'm not a horror movie fan. When I was younger, I had some bad experiences and just was <laughs> turned off from it. And I've come around a bit. There's a few that I like now. But from this conspiratorial occult angle, do you have any maybe recommendations for someone like me who hasn't seen some of these classic horror movies? Are, are there any particular ones that I should see that maybe have some information that are that's worth watching for? Yes. I'm actually going to talk about one today, but I'm going to give you a couple more that are obviously not featuring Jim Carrey. If you want to watch one just for the, I guess, the conspiratorial nature and to learn a a thing or two, maybe do a deep dive on it would be The Ninth Gate Mm. with Johnny Depp. I did one on Beetlejuice. I'm sure everyone has seen Beetlejuice. Have you seen Beetlejuice? No, but someone did recommend that to me recently because I'm very tall yes. and they said I looked like it. So you you need to watch Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice is a comedy, huh. so you'll be fine. Okay, you'll do good. Of course, Ghostbusters has a lot of actually occult shit in it, and it is a comedy. But for the sake of Halloween, if you want some lighthearted stuff to do research on, mm. Beetlejuice, Ghostbusters, and if you want something that's like a psychological thriller, then you should do The Ninth Gate. I think there's a lot of stuff actually in Alien, the old Alien mm. movies with Sigourney Weaver. Mm. There's a lot of weird shit going down in there, a lot of uh, messages being pushed through those. And I can't think of another one I did. Oh, there is a brand new one that came out. It's not brand new. I think it came out last year. It's a Jordan Peele movie. Hmm. It's called Nope. And it's about extraterrestrials. And, of course, Jordan Peele also has a horror movie called Get Out and another one called Us. And those will you once you watch them, you will want to do episodes on them because you will be screaming at your TV like, oh, my God, they're putting (laughs) in shit in movies. (laughs) Like, 
It's it's pretty wild. You would like those. Okay. Well, good. I, I got a little list here now. Thank you. I appreciate that. And uh, yeah, Jim Carrey, he's not known for his serious film work, but he, he has done some of it, right? I mean, he's not mm-hmm. only a comedic actor. He's done some serious roles. But what initially inspired you to look into Jim Carrey? Was it The Mask? Was it one movie in particular? Because The Mask always creeped me out, even though... He creeped I, me out as a kid, for sure. It definitely has like a skinwalker kind of vibe to it. And yeah, I wasn't wasn't quite sure about all those things when I was a kid, but I perceived it. I definitely like some sort of intuitive sense mm-hmm. was felt. But what initially made you do like dive into Jim Carrey like was it oh I had another question or another thought he also talked a lot about the Illuminati as he calls it too so maybe Uh that was part of it but go ahead you tell me that was that was definitely something that I considered before I went in full head on into the research that he's kind of coming out and saying some stuff I personally grew up watching Jim Carrey movies and was a mega fan. I wanted to be Jim Carrey. I wanted to meet him. I wanted, I was so convinced that if Jim Carrey met me, he would just invite me to live in his house and we would just make comedy movies together. I was just so unrealistic. Mind you, I was a kid, like 10 years old and I just thought I didn't have a crush on him. I just wanted him to be like my older brother or something. And everyone loves Jim Carrey. I don't know if you were a diehard fan or anything, but I actually watched Jim Carrey on In Living Color before he ever made any movies all the way through his dramatic roles. I just watched one of his newest movies that came out, I think in 2018. I still watch every movie that he does and... I just have such an admiration for his comedy and that kind of threw me off when he started coming out and saying Illuminati. I was hoping he would say more, but what's happened is he's kind of turned into this kind of nothing is real. We're not real. This is just a body, but the spirit lives on and he's become very esoteric and It just made me love him even more because I was like, he gets it. I've always admired him as a kid. Now he he gets it. He's talking about it. And I wanted to see what the trigger was for him that made him hate Hollywood so much. And over the years, as my research unfolded, I started to see why he snapped. And now people actually say that he's insane. See, and this is this is the angle I was hoping we would sort of come around to. There is a few, not fears, because I'm open to any, like you could sit here and tell me Jim Carrey's a reptilian and I'm game to hear you out and why you think that. But I, I, I was a little, not worried, but just I was thinking, well, is she going to tell me that Jim Carrey's a murderer? Is she going to tell me that he's crazy? Because I have seen that theory. I don't know if you saw that, too, but there is like some kind of weird theory about him killing his ex-wife or because I think she committed suicide. And- he committed suicide. I do not believe. I'll just tell the listeners right now, spoiler alert, I do not believe he had anything to do with it. 
Right. And and I wonder, to to your point that you made earlier, if that's also a part of this effort to make him look insane and discredit him. And, and now I'm really excited because I, I initially, when I saw that kind of meltdown, as Hollywood liked to call it, mm-hmm. I was excited. I'm like, look, he's going to start exposing this stuff. And this was back when I was watching The Daily Show before Trump. This was like when mm-hmm. things were still like kind of propagandized and I speaking for myself here, I didn't quite see the Kool-Aid just yet when it came to like the whole political game. But yeah, I was excited that Jim Carrey was going to start talking about this stuff. And I I mean, it's been radio silence since. So yeah, let's get into it. Don't let me ramble on. No. And I want you to break in at any point if something sparks uh, an idea or a question, because this is pretty extensive. I covered it in four parts because it's just a lot. So we're going to kind of. Right. When we'll brush past it and brush over. I'm going to link those episodes directly along with your podcast uh, URL. So folks listening, if you want to continue down the Jim Carrey deep dive, deep dive rabbit hole, the links are in the description. But uh, yeah, let's take it away. Okay. Thank you. So. As I started doing the research, I first wanted to know where he came from, why he got into comedy, what was his first taste into the, I guess you would say, stand-up comedian roles. Because he didn't start off as an actor. He didn't really want to be an actor. He wanted to be a stand-up comedian. So he is from Canada. He is a Canadian-American, as they say. But he... As a child, he and his family were homeless for a time in Canada. They lived in a tent, and he was sent to work at a tire factory on the third shift for months just so the family could save up enough money to finally move into a house. And then his dad got a job, but for the longest, he and his family, funnily enough, were living in a van down by the river. (laughs) <laughs> like for real wow wow yes. yeah in a tent in canada too that's got to be rough i mean there's only a that's few months too. like it's year. gotta be cold you know yeah I, I can't imagine you could do that with a young kid for many for like the whole year they must have been kids wow wow they must have been far south <laughs> that's yeah that's ontario crazy. huh interesting yeah i mean so Hardy people. He finally, you know, that that was rough for him. He did say that was a dark period in his life. But when they moved into the house, he started trying to pursue a stand-up comedy career. And he would go do stand-up comedy for free just to get his foot in the door. If they would let him on the stage, he would go. He, he would perform for free. And he actually wore a leisure suit his mom found at the Salvation Army or something. It looked real goofy. It had the ruffles and just kind of cheesy. And he kept getting booed off stage. And they said, he's not going anywhere. This guy, he's no good. He wanted to quit after that because when they would have open mic nights, he would be the least laughed at person in the whole lineup of comics. They would just be like, oh, that's that. James Carey (laughs) he's not funny at all Uh, but it started gaining momentum people started enjoying his impressions because he would do Clint Eastwood he would do 
Pee Wee Herman. He had a bunch, like a lineup of different impressions he would do. And that started to really catch on. And he auditioned for Saturday Night Live not once, but twice and was turned down both times. And the second time he was turned down for Saturday Night Live, he... He was going to actually wait a little while and try out for a third time, but the producers of In Living Color swooped him up. They said, oh, my God, how did they pass up on this guy? He's amazing in living color right now. And he became the funny white guy on an otherwise black comedy show. Now, he was in New York City at this time, like at the beginning of his comedy career, I imagine, considering he tried out for SNL? He started doing the free open mic night gigs in Canada, but then he moved himself and started doing paid gigs in the States and eventually ended up trying out for for Saturday Night Live. And then he was cast in, in Living Color instead. Right, right. Wow, and that that show was a little bit before my time. I'm 28 years old. I don't remember seeing that, but I I know of it because I think there were other people that blew up from that show. I don't remember who. It was the the Wayans brothers created in Living Color, and it was the Wayans brothers Saturday Night Live. And in my opinion, might be an unpopular opinion, or it might not be, but in Living Color was way the fuck funnier than Saturday Night Live. I don't doubt that at all, especially now with Saturday Night Live and how they treat comedy. Comedy, yeah. (laughs) Yes. It was off the chain. Hilarious. And it was actually from In Living Color that the producer of Ace Ventura Pet Detective found him. And a lot of the other people who were working on Ace Ventura Pet Detective said, are you sure this guy's kind of like a comedian, like he's a he's a comic, but he's not an actor. Do you think that transition will really work? And the Tom Shattuck or whatever his name is said, yeah, I think it'll work. Let's give him a try. And boom, superstardom. Jim Carrey was everywhere. Ace Ventura Pet Detective. The second Ace Ventura, Dumb and Dumber, Liar, Liar, you name it. Like, he just kept boom, boom, boom. Jim Carrey was the million-dollar man by the end of that year. Right, and Dumb and Dumber, that was probably the first Jim Carrey movie I saw. That was, like, around when I started watching comedy movies, that one came out. I don't think I saw it in theaters, but it definitely... I don't want to say it turned me off to Jim Carrey because he was really funny in that, but I never liked the dumb for dumb sake kind of comedy stuff that was like Beavis and Butthead and like there are other examples of it. So I did kind of equate it to that as a young kid. I was very pretentious for some reason uh, when I was really (laughs) young. So yeah, I I didn't like Dumb and Dumber that much, but I like it now. I've come come back to it. (laughs) If you watch it without being... I guess you you have to actually let all caution go and just watch it because yeah. there are some one-liners that everyone knows that are just iconic from oh, the yeah. movie. But oh, yeah. He could be funny in so many different ways, though, because if you look at 
Dumb and Dumber, and then you look at The Mask, The Riddler, and then me, myself, and Irene, or The Cable Guy, they are so different, but they're all funny. Yeah, he is multifaceted for sure. As you were saying those movies, I'm kind of thinking to myself, like, yeah, I don't even necessarily put those in the same category as Dumb and Dumber, but they're all Jim Carrey movies. And even like uh, Pet Detective and what, was he in Kangaroo Jack or am I just mixing that with no, Pet Detective? No, not Kangaroo Jack, but he was in, there's another one, Batman Forever. The cable guy. I'm going through my notes to see if I missed one. Well, and before we, while you're while you're thinking of that, um, Dumb and Dumber has kind of like an interestingly conspiratorial subplot going on. Like while Jim Carrey and the other guy are being complete idiots, there's like this whole like briefcase full of money and like mm-hmm. these rich people ransom or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it seems like a well-organized like crime group. It's, it's a crime syndicate. Yeah. <laughs> just like two idiots in the middle of it. Right. Uh, there's mafiosos and just all this crazy stuff. But actually, where my... So I did find some conspiratorial stuff in Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, actually. He, he says a line in that movie that I think went over a lot of people's heads. And it's when he is in, and he ad-libbed a lot. They gave him freedom to pretty much say and do whatever he wanted to do. That was very common with a lot of the movies he worked on. But he said a line in the police department to the effect of, I just wanted to turn myself in because it was me. I was the second shooter on the grassy knoll. (laughs) he said that in ace ventura pet detective wow that's really weird considering i just did a podcast last night all about jfk and ola ole demogar talked about all the different shooters that were there Mm -hmm. and he even said that there is like a video of the jfk assassination that only the government has and they use it to train like black ops guys to show how to like pull off a perfect ambush so just a little tangent there but wow very weird jim very weird (laughs) and the thing about it is if he was able to ad-lib some of this stuff, was that just something floating around in his mind and he kind of wanted to sneak it in there? Because there's also another scene in Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, and it's someone that I've done a lot of research on. His name was Frank Olson, and he was in charge of the LSD for Mind Control program working with the United States military, I think in the 30s. And he got the old clubbed and shoved. They they gave him LSD. They drugged him. They went to his hotel room. They broke in. They clubbed him over the head and then pushed him through a glass window and he fell to his death. I think it was 10 stories down or something like that. But they use Frank Olson's death as a blueprint for how certain other assassinations should go. You drug them, club them, throw them out of a window. Oopsie, they committed suicide. And there is a scene in Ace Ventura where it's almost a play-by-play of what happened to Frank Olson. 
Do you remember the 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 director guy of the dolphins? He was pushed, he was drugged and then pushed out of the window. And Ace Venture is like, well, you couldn't have heard him scream because the glass door is soundproof. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I and mean, it was like a play by play. When a little background for people, Frank Olson was an American bacteriologist, biological warfare scientist who worked at Camp Dietrich, now Fort Dietrich in Maryland, and uh, yeah, you have to wonder what else he he knew. Maybe more than just the whole Sidney Gottlieb LSD stuff, but maybe something uh, that led to the pandemic that we all just went through, right? I mean, th- these things. Are- yeah, he was definitely working on actually using LSD for mind control. Wow. And he was actually in charge of overseeing LSD in the use of creating Manchurian candidates. Wow. Wow. And he was actually so sickened by the work he was doing that he was going to, he was one of the first so-called whistleblowers and he got drugged and clubbed. Right. Pushed out of a window. So he also worked with Frank Olson. Sounds like he was trying to do the right thing, but they, they snubbed him before he got to it. Yeah. Yeah. He was also slightly, although he wasn't from Germany, slightly involved with Operation Paperclip, it says, trying to utilize anthrax, which is another conspiracy rabbit hole there and how they falsely use anthrax to, well, what frame the Unabomber and probably many mm-hmm. other people. So, but that's a whole nother conversation. So but think about that. If yeah. he's going to sneak in the thing about I'm the second shooter on the grassy knoll, and then you have a play by play of Frank Olson's death. Mm. You tell me that was just, oops, that was an accident. Co- total coincidence. <laughs> right. Right. And there is the argument that some make that, oh, well, Hollywood does this to poke fun at us because they know we're, too stupid to figure it out and i i don't doubt that wholesale but i do think more often than not it's likely that it's people like jim carrey maybe even writers and whatnot who are aware and have light in their soul still and want to get this Mm -hmm. truth out there yeah i mean wow that's really i never thought of ace ventura as something more than just a goofball Yes, if you look, you will always find something. And that's what intrigues me so much about him because he loved making people laugh, Mm. loved making people laugh. And so I do think that there was a part of him after he was really into the thick of things where he had to have some kind of an outlet. Mm. And he was traumatized by Hollywood, as are most people that go through Hollywood. I've done a lot of research on SRA. I'm sure your listeners are aware of what SRA is. I've done a lot of research on dissociative identity disorder, and that is usually caused by SRA. They put a lot of that programming into Hollywood movies and Disney movies, and They put a lot of trigger words in those movies. And so do I think that there is a dark occult aspect to any movie that you can find? Yeah, pretty much. I think if you even watch something as simple as How the Grinch Stole Christmas, you will find something in there. Right. That will be significant. Yeah. Yeah, no, no doubt. And it's. It, I think that speaks to just the full immersion that 
we're in. Like none of mm-hmm. none of this stuff is separate. It's constantly around us. It's just a, a matter of perspective. And I think people are really kind of thrilled when they start to realize it because, yeah, it's kind of hidden in plain sight, especially with a character, a person as well-rounded as Jim Carrey. But so we, we got Ace... Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. We're talking about Dumb and Dumber. This was all sort of like right in the beginning of his sort of boom Mm -hmm. into Hollywood. He gets a boom, 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 these really big movies doing really well. What comes next? Yeah, so the next one actually came out in 1994, the year I was born. So I wasn't literally around when it came out, but I was aware of it and watched it later in life was the mask and that was cameron diaz starring role her introductory role and if we look at the mask on its face there's a lot of dark occult symbolism there we have dissociative identity disorder of course when he puts the mask on he turns into a different person the mask is supposed to have some supernatural power from the god loki and you can expand on that and do some more research on to <clears throat> into the mask in the Norse mythology. But what I also found interesting is right after the mask, he did the cable guy, which is another dissociative identity disorder. The cable guy doesn't even know who he is. He's like Sybil. He has all kinds of names, all kinds of personalities. And they're actually kind of poking fun at what it's like to be a psychopath. And the movie right after that is Liar Liar, where he's a scumbag attorney and his son makes a magical wish on his birthday. And with mystical powers, his dad is not able to tell a lie. Um, And so it's just funny because the next movie after Liar Liar, you've all been waiting for it, was The Truman Show. Wow. Wow. Wow, and and the Truman Show is so funny. I didn't even think of that, but we watched it in my high school. Again, I was born in '94 too, so I didn't see these when they hit the film, I hit the hit the theaters. But we watched the Truman Show as a part of like a social sociology class I had in high school, and I think this teacher is probably a fan of my podcast and doesn't even know I was her student because she was one of the first like conspiracy teachers I had. I had a few. That's awesome. And and she was one of them. She she showed us a couple movies and got us to question the the sort of status quo and authority. And the Truman Show is definitely, I mean, we can spend a whole episode talking about it, but what, oh, when I did. <laughs> when what? Well, and what do you think? Like with Liar Liar and the Truman Show, like was there any agency on Jim Carrey's part in selecting these roles? Like, did he? You think he knowingly was kind of creating this arc for himself, where he's like, "All right, I'm going to send this message now, this message now, this message," because each movie has its own kind of unique moral, like a like a mm-hmm. Grimm's fairy tale kind of thing. I think Jim Carrey is like a fucking Rubik's Cube. And with every movie, you just unlock another piece of the puzzle, how his mind works. And he wanted to push it further with every the next movie, the next movie, the next movie. 
And he eventually got to the point where he really doesn't do comedy at all anymore. If you do see him, it's usually a very serious, dark kind of mystery serial killer movie. And how did we get there from In Living Color? And that's what's building for me is he's pushing himself in each role that he plays. And The Truman Show is the dramatic twist because we only know him as this comedian. And are there comical moments in The Truman Show? Sure. But it's so much more. People have argued about what the Truman Show really means. You could write essays on what it really means. Some people think it's a flat earth reference. Some people think it's about God and and creation. Some people think that it's about religion. I mean, where I don't even know where do you fall on the Truman Show? Like what what do you think it means? Well, when I was a kid, high school, so not quite a kid, when I was a teenager and I first saw the Truman Show, I had probably already been smoking weed by then. So a lot of these sort of transcendental thoughts were already brewing in me. So for me, I think the Truman Show was kind of existential. Like we live this this life that we think is a certain way and then we find out there's this whole nother hidden aspect to it and it's being managed. And for me, it kind of coincided with one of my favorite books, which I think, yeah, it's right here. I'm not going to, it's underneath the stack, but The Secret History of the World, because when I read The Secret History of the World, I was like, oh, wow, this is all stuff I'm, this is a story I'm familiar with, but here are new Mm -hmm. characters and a whole new plot, right? I'm loosely familiar with like, okay, we were in Babylon and then we spread out and this whole bullshit about human progress, right? The secret history of the world really like put in all these other pieces that I was like, whoa. And the Truman Show to me feels a little bit like that, maybe from Jim Carrey's direct perspective, which you might not necessarily think when you watch a movie that you're actually thinking about the actor themselves, because you're supposed to detach from that, right? The, mm-hmm. He's not Jim Carrey anymore. He's the character in the Truman Show. But for this film, it really, there wasn't much of a separation. It's like Jim Carrey became this big star. He probably couldn't go anywhere without being recognized. Right. And then now he does this show that, or this movie that's very like on the nose to what he was probably experiencing at that time. I mean, that that's kind of my interpretation from for for that. And movie. then a lot of people going on what you were saying. Look at the Truman Show, and they kind of equate it to the Matrix in a way. We're all living in this fake reality, and we think that the end of the ocean is it's so far out of reach and we can't get there and then this and that and the the dome the glass ceiling and you can only go so far and a lot of people live their entire lives in the truman show because they have a nine-to-five job they have kids they work they retire they go to hawaii once and then they die and it's it's just kind of almost an experiment in humanity. How long will you go living in the Matrix? Mm. How long will you go living in the Truman Show before you right. find the escape door? And as a conspiracy theorist, 
I think we have all found the escape door and we're trying to show everybody like, hey, this is the escape door. There's <laughs> yes. so much more out here. I love but that. People who are very comfortable yeah. staying at the Truman Show. Oh, yeah. Well, hey, that's the title of my show. My family thinks I'm crazy, right? I think yeah. that's how most people can relate to these, whether we agree on the flat earth or we agree on the Illuminati or the Freemasons or we can all relate that like, Hey, our families don't, don't necessarily on board are, or they're not necessarily on board with us for our, all this. And yeah, I also, I love how you posed it like a challenge, like the movie is a challenge and that's even like right there in the name of the movie, The True Man Show. Like if you yeah. want to know what it's like to become a true human, yes. take take the challenge. Like realize that you are this sort of person in the box who's being observed mm -hmm. at all times. And maybe that, yeah, that's a great allegory and for monitored and And, oh, they're turning on to West Bank Street now. Oh, they're, they're grabbing the newspaper. They're doing this. It's this surveillance that we're all under. And I don't know about you, but every time I check my Instagram, I feel like I'm being surveillance because I may have a conversation with my husband about Texas Roadhouse. This is a very specific example. And I just want to show the listeners because your phone is always listening to you. We were having a conversation about how Outback has better steaks, but people just go to Texas Roadhouse for the rolls and the honey butter. And I got on Instagram and there was a fucking TikTok video of a bitch literally in her kitchen saying, let me show you how to make Texas Roadhouse honey butter at home. <laughs> See, I Only your phones don't listen to you. See, I usually go to Outback for the brown bread and whatever garlic. Texas <laughs> Roadhouse has the best rolls, and they have the little cinnamon honey butter. Oh no, I haven't. I haven't been to Texas Roadhouse in a while, so maybe I just don't remember. But yeah, that's funny. It's the opposite for me with Outback. But all I say is your phones. It is no matter what it is. I could be talking about, hey, there's a lot of holes in our towels. I think we should go get some new towels. Right. And then I log into my phone and it's JC Penney's having a fall sale, 25% off towels. Why? Why do you know this? Right, right. Yeah. And it, it yeah, speaking of, I mean, everybody's got a camera on their front door now that connects to their phone. So you could just be walking through your neighborhood and yes, people are watching you. Yep. And I mean, let, let's take it from the Truman Show and apply it to our current reality. When he's with his wife in the kitchen and they're having a normal conversation, she'll grab a thing of hot cocoa and say, hot cocoa from the da-da-da. And she'll look into the camera and be like, no preservatives and then it. And when you're on Instagram or you're watching TV or whatever, there's always some kind of ad that pops up. And it's always somehow kind of relevant to what's going on with you at the moment. Mm. It's surveillance. And this is why I tell everyone there is an escape door. Please, God, follow me out. And wake up to the reality of things because this is by design. Now, do I think Jim Carrey had anything to do with writing the script for the movie or anything like that? Probably not. But it's a total evolution in his career because this is a dra dramatic left turn from mm. what he was doing. Well, and, and I think you see that really clearly with one of the, the next films that comes after that, 
which is the man on the moon, also might have a, some flat earth implications or just at least like questioning the realm we're in. But it deals with Andy Kaufman, who is kind of like this comedian that never turned it off, right? Like he was mm -hmm. constantly in character. He was this zany, goofy, really like for his time, kind of a trailblazing comedian. Now there's dozens of people that act like that. <laughs> it's probably yeah, annoying, it's not, but it's not as uncommon, I guess. Yeah. But Jim Carrey as a comedian ahead of his time, definitely I would imagine took inspiration from Kaufman. So it makes sense that he would do that. But there's like a deeper level to Kaufman and like a sadness involved with Kaufman's story. And maybe that was kind of Jim Carrey, like, yeah, taking this turn away from comedy. And mm -hmm. the man on the moon was he his way also, of showing that. When he made that movie, he stayed in character the entire filming of the movie did not break character at all. People were actually scared of him. They would avoid him on set. He was acting really strange. And after he the the filming wrapped, he said he had a very hard time letting go of Andy, almost as if Andy had inhabited his body as a spirit, he said. Well, and I'm so glad we're here because I had heard of that. And it does feel like acting comes out of the occult right there's so yes. much here right with the theater from the greek days and ancient mm -hmm. culture and then even like the secret societies that brought that in through the arts culture but there's like a shamanistic aspect to becoming an actor and yeah i wonder how much of jim carrey was experimenting with that and maybe even regretted that, like taking on that much of a burden. Cause I've heard from numerous different sources on this kind of information that anybody who channels spirits or gets possessed, it's an exhausting process. It's not something exactly. that like leaves you better for the experience. Mm -hmm. You're often worse for having gone through that. But yeah, it's kind of strange to think he channeled a person who had only died like relatively recent to that when that film was created too yeah actually and that kind of that's a good point you brought up because in a lot of the interviews that he's done he's talked about how in some of the roles he's played it's physically exhausting mentally exhausting it's almost abusive in some ways abuse like self-abuse because he's claustrophobic and the outfit he had to wear for the Grinch was a 12-hour long anxiety attack every day. And he said right. he thought he was going to suffocate. And you would never see that in the movie. But in real life, he said he was just dying on the inside. And in Liar Liar, there's a scene in the bathroom where he's throwing himself against the walls and, like, crushing his head with the toilet seat. And all that was really real. He really did that shit. And he had to do it over and over again for the... They, the they right do shot. it several times to get the best cut or whatever. So right. he said by the end of the filming for Liar Liar, he was like, fuck this. He was exhausted. He was bruised, beaten. And it just kept, it was always something weird with Jim Carrey where they wanted the comedy aspect so badly. They didn't care if it almost killed him to get it. Right. And that's, that's almost like the, 
the sadistic aspect of Hollywood where they put these people and not just Jim Carrey, but actresses and actors, they each take their own toll. Uh, obviously, there's tons of sexual abuse that goes on. I don't know if that comes into play with with Jim's story, but yeah, I wonder even the title of that film, Liar, Liar, I wonder if that if he ever got any like retribution for his like sort of JFK kind of comment and stuff like like maybe there are people who are like dude you can't you can't talk like that like look you embarrassed us the CIA and the military is paying for these movies and you you said that and we had to put it out so now we're gonna make you be this guy who's a liar and you're gonna be the like the worst of capitalism. Oh yeah, and there's a scene where you have to like shove a to- your head in a toilet. Like, yes, it just feels like a, it's like a gang type of thing where you know we're watching something that has a whole nother like level of layer of complication. There's always, I always compare it to a five layer burrito from Taco <laughs> Bell. You have to get past the nacho cheese. You got to get past the rice. You got to get all the way down to the beans, and then mm. you'll finally figure out what the fuck is going on. Right and. In the next, he did it. I think he did a couple movies in between that weren't very good, or he did The Majestic at some point, which I do not like that movie. It's fucking awful. Hmm. But it does say a lot about Hollywood because he's a screenwriter in that movie and they don't want to use any of the stuff he's written. They want to change it up and sexualize it and make it weird. And he's like, not about it. Hmm. But the next movie I actually paid a lot of attention to is one that came out in 2003. And I did go see it at the movies with my mom. And that's Bruce Almighty. And this is a very controversial movie. Yeah, I remember when this movie came out and I was, we're we're both the same age, I I guess. So what, like almost 10 years old at that age. Mm -hmm. So I remember being like growing up with kind of like a Roman Catholic, like suppression of religion. So to me, Mm -hmm. anything that was like God related, I was just like, nah, not interested. So that, that I, um, initially when I saw the trailer for this movie, I was like, that looks corny. But as I got older uh, and I came across this whole Jim Carrey rabbit hole, that movie came back to mind, like, it's kind of weird that he played a movie where he was God. Like mm. how, how many other actors can say that? I, I mean, other than Morgan Freeman, none, I, I think. Right. <laughs> and actually I found some weird stuff about Bruce Almighty. So Egypt actually banned Bruce Almighty because they said it was sacrilegious and totally a cult. Wow. And If you look on the surface, it's already kind of controversial because he's playing God and Morgan Freeman is playing God. But if you dive a little bit deeper and I invite all of the listeners to go back and watch it and make a list of all the weird comments that they can find and you will be surprised. But the first thing that I have written down actually is that there's a mention of blood types and there's a mention of blood bags and where blood is stored in Bruce Almighty. Do you remember this scene at all? No, but it's funny because I was just talking to a friend of mine who's Muslim and he was telling me like the reason why he eats halal meat is because there's no blood in it. And I was thinking about that. I'm like, that is interesting that like people eat meat that's like rare and they're eating an animal's blood 
I don't think like those animals have the same blood type as us, right? So what does that do to us? A totally different tangent, but yeah, that is weird. It it is very weird. And a lot of people think that our blood types are significant to where we came from. A lot of the elites have the same blood type or they look for a specific blood type. They look for specific gene markers in a blood type to assess whether or not that person has, in my opinion, Nephilim blood. So when they bring up this blood type reference and where blood bags are stored, it immediately caught my attention. And it's actually when he drops Jennifer Aniston off at her school job. And she says, we're having a blood drive today. And he says, I don't do needles. I want my blood in my body, whatever. And they're talking about rare blood types between the two of them. And then there's this line and Jim Carrey says, quote, Besides, they stockpile all this stuff in a warehouse somewhere. It's all frozen on ice. They tell everyone there's a shortage and there's not. And Jennifer Innocent says, that's not true. Where did you hear that? And Jim Carrey says, from a very reliable friend of a friend of a girl whose sister is going out with someone very high up in government. <laughs> wow. 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 That definitely feels like... We can add that to the list of truths that Jim Carrey slipped into movies. Because, yeah, like, how else do you explain that, especially when this is happening in other movies, too, that he's the main role in? And there's two other very significant references I got in this movie. And, again, listeners, go and check out my full episode where I talk a lot more in detail about Bruce Almighty. But I'm going to give you two more that the listeners just need to know. And that's when Bruce is on his way to work. It's sweeps week and they're playing the spots that they're going to use for sweeps week. And there's a clip of Evan Baxter and it's Steve Carell, obviously. And it goes, is your child in dire jeopardy? Find out tonight after the game. And then it cuts off. And later on, in the conversation after Jim Carrey arrives, they go, oh, we already played the spots and we're actually going to go with Evan's piece about the sex scandal in the mayor's office. So when you add those two things together, he says, is your child in dire jeopardy? Find out tonight after the game. And then it says, we're going to go with Evan's piece about the sex scandal in the mayor's office. So... Is your kid in dire jeopardy and sex scandal in the mayor's office is obviously linked. Right. Wow. Yeah. And and he, I didn't quite put this together, but he plays a reporter in that movie. But Yes, uh, a news reporter. Wow. That's so weird. Definitely going to add this to my uh, must watch list. I found another interesting thing while looking at this Wikipedia page for Bruce Almighty. And it's funny when films have an effect that's statistically noticeable. And this film, of course, had that where an actual phone number that they showed in the movie that Bruce used to call God, it or Jim Carrey used to call God, there was, I guess, numbers that were similar or the same in multiple countries that got flooded with calls from people who were trying to call God, which is interesting that the movie would like have that effect where people were like, 
So it like I don't know what they're what, immersed in the movie. Yeah, like like it was so real to them that they're like, well, I'm just gonna give it a shot. Like I have a phone, why not? Even if it's just for kicks. Like, and even, I'm sure some people were like, devout about it. How desperate those people were to think that that was real. Yeah, and I mean, there are aspects to the movie. Of course, they do quote the Bible and and all of that. And I am a Christian, so for me. I still like the movie. I do think in some ways it's sacrilegious, but it's got a wider story going on than just him playing God because there is. Well, uh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say there's this like overarching thing of like being ungrateful Mm -hmm. and like not valuing the things that you have in your life that are such blessings. Right. And what Bruce's problem is, is he only cares about material objects. Yeah, and I I wonder like how like this movie would be received if it came out like in the past five years as opposed to in two thousand three because it definitely has that traditional message that's not totally Christian centric. Like if you're a Jewish or Muslim or another religion, you can find truth in those values that you just mentioned. I mean, mm-hmm. those are universal, and that I I think it speaks to this arc of Jim Carrey's career where. He has this kind of esoteric intention of maybe planting seeds of truth in the minds of his audience. I mean, that seems to be the theme so far. Well, that gets me to my next thing that I caught and then we can move on. But there is a scene where they tell Bruce he's going to do a live stream at Niagara Falls And he's on the boat and he's got this stupid little umbrella hat on. And they announce, he doesn't know they're about to announce this, but they announce that Evan Baxter is going to be the new anchor. And Bruce wanted to be the anchor. So he freaks out when they cut to him. They're like, Bruce, or they say like, Evan's going to be the new anchor. Here's to Bruce at Niagara Falls. And he's like, what the fuck? I thought it was going to be me. And he just stands there frozen with like a, weird look on his face for like i don't know maybe three minutes or something like that but the guys in the newsroom don't know if the the feed is frozen or if he's just freaking the fuck out and one of the crew members says quote we've got a walt disney here he's frozen solid end quote (laughs) wow (laughs) yeah Definite. In 2003, Mark, yeah. they said, we've got a Walt Disney here. He's frozen solid. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but was that not like common knowledge? I mean, maybe I'm taking the conspiracy stuff I know for granted, but didn't people know about that back then? Like that he was fro- like Disney's supposed to be frozen on ice in a cryo chamber? <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> well... Yeah, maybe I'm just making assumptions, but yeah, no, I that would have went over my head probably too. But yeah, that's funny. You're hoping it does. Yeah, absolutely. Wow, so weird. Now, his next movie, Pecan Pie, I've never heard about that. I've never heard of it. I actually have. So I did in my episodes, I kind of skipped over ones that people probably wouldn't recognize, and I went straight to... Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, which is another serious role about mental illness. Right. Well, I, and actually an experiment on wiping people's memories. Wow. 
See, now, that's a movie, again, I haven't seen that I really should see. Should have seen it before we did this interview. But I just wanted to mention the Pecan Pie film before because uh, before we got into Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind because it says that Jim... It's a short film. It's not a long film. I think it's probably like less than 20 minutes. But um, he's singing a song in the style of Elvis Presley. And mm-hmm. I didn't know this until a couple of weeks ago when Miguel Connor uh, approached us about coming on the show. Uh, and he just did the episode on Tinfoil Hat where they talked about how Elvis Presley was like this occult sort of it's... savant and had all these sh- shamanistic sort of aspects to the way he performed. And here's Jim Carrey evoking Elvis Presley very briefly. Mm-hmm. But wow. He was also a pedophile as Priscilla was only like 12 years old when he met her. Right, right. And yeah. he married her at 13. Yeah, yeah, that's the sickening thing with a lot of these rock stars. I'm sure he's not the only one. uh, Oh, no, Jerry Lee married his 12-year-old cousin, first cousin. Right, right. So, I, yeah, no, I think there's definitely something to it, whether you're in Hollywood or you're in the music scene, whatever, there's this weird undercurrent. And if you're not part of the club, get the fuck out, pretty much. (laughs) And I feel like throughout Jim Carrey's career, he was accepted as part of the club. And I think that they did use him kind of as a pawn in some of his movies to portray the, this messaging or whatever. I don't know if he was necessarily aware of it, but it's definitely there. And after Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, which, by the way, they made him get off his antidepressant medications to film this movie. And then it wasn't even as successful as they thought it was going to be. So it was just all for nothing, pretty much. We get to some of the other more serious stuff. And I might be skipping a little bit to get here, but it's very important that we touch on this. The number 23. So I really dedicated a lot of time researching the number 23. Do you know anything about this movie? Yeah, I have seen this like a long time ago. And I remember, I think I watched it on TV in like 2000 teens at some point. And yeah, very, very confusing movie. But I know the whole gematria numerology stuff can it can venture on the crazy at some points but i wonder like how much that was played into this to like discredit all of that because when you do see some of the numbers add up it's like hmm. yeah and i actually went at it from a different direction because i'm not into gematria it's not that i don't think it's real I actually just take everything from a different perspective. So I'm going to get into that in just a second. I do want to say that another one of his serious roles was a movie called Dark Crimes. It's on Amazon Prime. Everybody needs to go watch it. It's about like sex slavery, women tied up in basements, getting beaten, raped, sodomized, chained, like tortured. It's it's like the realest conspiracy shit you ever saw, but we're not going to spend a lot of time on that because we have to do 23 in detail. Mm. In his personal life, while the number 23 was going on, there was a lot of vaccine skepticism on Jim Carrey's part. He held rallies against vaccines. He said they're full of toxic shit. They're killing our kids. And he actually had walks walking down 
like main streets and intersections with people holding up signs that said green are vaccines. And he still talks about uh, vaccine skepticism to this day. He talked about the COVID vaccine. He talked about it all. And I really, really appreciate that coming from him because he's an iconic and very influential member of Hollywood. So if he's coming out and talking about it, then it's definitely significant. But during all of his vaccine skepticism and doing the marches and rallies and everything, he's making the movie The Number 23. And he actually himself, while making this movie, became completely obsessed, obsessed with the number 23. It totally fucked him up making this movie. And it actually came out on February 23rd, 2007. Fun fact. Hmm. It is 2023 Um, right now. So I wonder maybe that's why he's been. Oh my God, it was 723. That's crazy. (laughs) So the 23 enigma is what it's called. And there are a lot of weird events that have happened in reference to 23, either it happened on a 23 date or mm-hmm. time or month, whatever you add, add up to things and it comes out to 23. So the 23 enigma is mentioned in this book that came out in 1975 called the Illuminatus Trilogy. It's in another book from 1977 called Cosmic Trigger, The Final Secret of the Illuminati. It's somehow linked to Cthulhu mythology. They reference biblical scripture in the number 23, numbers 32, 23 to be exact. The list goes on, but Jim Carrey actually became so obsessed with it, he changed the name of his production company from Pitbull something or other to JC23. So it literally consumed him and he was never the same after this movie i think the most funny thing he did after this movie was like sonic the hedgehog yeah that's weird yeah it does seem like huh and a lot of the movies he does after that are not really i mean they're not that big i mean anchorman he was in anchorman but he I don't remember him being an anchor man. I don't even remember. It must have been the tiniest cameo appearance ever. Yeah. And then they tried to do like a dumb and dumber reboot. But yeah, wow, that's that's really weird. So, okay, I'm a little bit confused. Let's get into number 23 and like, I mean, why do you think it drove him insane? <laughs> I'm prepared. <laughs> okay. So I actually take numbers in reference to what they mean astrologically. And 23 is linked up with a with a very specific type of summer solstice, I want to say. And I think it's it's happens every 23 years or something like that this solstice occurs. Or I I want to say that it also represents let me pull up my notes here before I just get to talking shit. Hang on. Okay, yeah. So 23, the number 23 actually represents the star Sirius. Everybody knows about this star. I mean, let's look back 
into all ancient cultures, like antediluvian type cultures, Malta, Egypt, the structures, the the Gigantia, the Gobekli Tepe, the one that they found in, in Peru. They all have structures built in alignment with Sirius. There's sundials in alignment with Sirius, ziggurats and temples, they're all in alignment with Sirius. And you would think that because these cultures do not have any contact with each other, supposedly, that it would be significant that they all built some type of architecture dedicated to the star Sirius. And it happens to be connected to the number 23. Now, I I think that even on Easter Island and some really obscure places in Babylon, pre-Aztec civilizations in Mexico, the mound builder sites in the U.S., they all have sites aligned with Sirius. And Sirius is also referred to as the morning star. But what else or who else is also referred to as the morning star? I'm sure. Venus. It's actually Lucifer. Oh, well, yeah, Lucifer. (laughs) So as a Christian, that's always the first place I go to. You're sure I know. What am I, a Luciferian? (laughs) (laughs) No, no. I mean, people do talk about it, though. Of course, it's Lucifer morning star. Right, right, right. So there are a few things that are in tandem with each other. The number 23, the star Sirius, and the morning star and or Lucifer, the light bearer. Right. And... As I look through Jim Carrey's movies, this movie, the number 23, would not be the first time that there is a connection in actually a ton of his movies to the number 23. Because of the nature of Sirius, I think a lot of people say like, oh, that's the Big Dipper or whatever. It's an alignment of stars that look like something. That's where we get the constellations from. Sagittarius looks like an archer. Virgo, this, Pisces, the two fish, all of that. Sirius is actually known as the dog star. So if we take that into consideration and we look into the movie, the number 23, and you may want to do some Googling on this. There are so many references to Sirius in the movie, the number 23. And it goes as blatantly as one of the professors in the movie. His name is Professor Sirius, S-I-R-I-U-S, Black or something like that. His name is Sirius Leary. Leary, like Timothy Leary. Sirius Leary. Yes. There you go. Yeah. Wow. That's weird. And also, um, past guest Michael Hoffman's written a book where he talks about how the son of Sam was some somehow kind of obsessed with the dog star, maybe alluded to it uh, in his sort of actually to the point where. He said he was getting his messaging from dogs. Right. The dogs were speaking to him and telling him what to do. And there is ancient deities said to have been able to use animals to communicate. 
or take the form of animals to communicate. So that wouldn't surprise me at all. And this dog star, the number 23 Sirius, right? There's like a dog in every single movie. Not, I'm going to take that back. There is a dog in most movies with Jim Carrey. And if we're taking the symbolism of the dog to be serious, the dog actually plays a vital and integral role in the story arc. If you think of Ace Ventura, first scene, he's going to save a dog. Think of Dumb and Dumber. The, the car that they ride in, it's a sheepdog. You think of Bruce Almighty, he can't train his dog how to piss outside. And by the way, that dog's name is Sam. Son of Sam, wow. David Berkowitz, Sirius, Dog Star. Wow, yeah. Yeah, so there's always a dog in these weird integral pieces of the movie. And it's representative of Sirius, in my opinion, but... Let's take the Truman Show, for example. Right before we have the pinnacle moment where things start to change in the storyline, Truman is exiting his home. He's on his way to his car to leave for work like a normal day. And this Dalmatian comes up to him, jumps up on him, starts pawing at him, and he's trying to, like, shoo the dog away. Two seconds after, two seconds after the dog walks away, a light from the ceiling fixture falls from the heavens and smashes on the ground. And that's Truman's first glimpse into that. This is a false reality. And I want you to Google and see if you can find a picture of what it says on the lamp that falls from the sky that Truman finds. It's a light canister that fell from the sky and changed Truman's reality forever. It says Sirius on it. <laughs> wow, that's crazy. It says Sirius 9 canister or something like that yeah. on it. Oh, nine, I didn't even see that. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah, it says there's multiple photos. It says Sirius 9 with like a, what do you call that? Parentheses before the nine. And then it says canis, which canis is Latin for dog. Like it's in the Latin, yes. like canine, right? <laughs> wow. So the morning star that fell from the heavens and changed Truman's reality forever was serious. Wow. And if you are Christian, to me, that's also a reference from another morning star who fell from the heavens, a.k.a. Lucifer, right. fell from the heavens and changed reality forever. Yeah, wow. Yeah, there's, I mean, a falling star, it's a dog, the dog star. That's, I mean, that's what fell in the Truman Show is the dog star. That's crazy. Now, I, what else is interesting is what other dogs have play, played a pivotal role in Jim Carrey's films. Well, wouldn't that be Max from The Mask? Huh. Right. He, Max literally at the end of the movie puts the mask on and turns into this demon dog and he's ripping the town up, whatever. And at the end, the very end of the movie before the credits... Jim Carrey throws the mask into the lake and he's like, I'm done with it. We're done with the mask forever. 
and Max jumps into the harbor after the mask and Jim Carrey jumps in after him and you see Max swimming away with the mask. Now, what's interesting about this is when he goes to the psychiatrist and he's like, I don't know what's going on with this mask. I think it's magical. And the psychiatrist says something to the effect of, well, it could be from the Norse god Loki, da, da, da. And that's the power supplying the mask. I later find out that um, Sirius, the dog star, is known as the Torch of Loki. Oh, wow. Wow. Now, what else do we have? Dog star, dog star, dog star, dog star in the name Sirius. There are these stories of 9-11. Over and over and over again, we hear about the canine hero. The only one dog fatality in the history of 9-11. The one canine hero who died trying to save people or whatever he was doing in 9-11. I want you to Google that one canine hero from 9-11. The canine who died during the 9-11 rescue mission. Let's see. Serious. When he felt the building violently tremble, feeling duty bound to assist potentially injured civilians, Lim took time to secure Sirius in his kennel and then went to investigate the disruption, telling his partner, I'll be back for you. After miraculously surviving the collapse of the North Tower, Lim's first instinct was to find Sirius, but he was rushed into an ambulance and brought to St. Vincent's Hospital for treatment. Uh, Unfortunately, Sirius was not as lucky as Lim, his remains were recovered in the winter of twenty and two thousand and two in the wreckage of the South Tower. Yeah, so Sirius yeah. was the only canine. They erected a whole memorial also for Sirius, and it has like the constellation above its head. Well, it almost feels like this guy, this cop, like left him there to die. Jeez, he put him in a kennel, and they... I don't know if Sirius is real, right? If he is. If they made up the story about Sirius, this well, it, dog hero, because of the occult significance of the name. Yeah, the 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 photo even looks like really old. I mean, could be a 90s photo, but it says Port Authority Police Canine Training Center. And Lim is standing there. Da- Lieutenant David Lim and his canine patrol partner, a yellow lab named Sirius. But they could have just took any picture and said, oh, yeah, that dog's name is Sirius. (laughs) Yes, and this memorial that they erected for Sirius and with this star constellation above its head and the twin towers in the back with the, the flag waving and all this stuff, it's just over and over again, we see this symbolism of the dog star. Right. Even going back, like I said, to ancient ancient civilizations building structures to commemorate Sirius. Why is it so significant? It's got to be some sort of occulted god that they worship or maybe the origins of humanity. I don't know. What do you think? And is it somehow linked to Lucifer and fallen angels? And is it somehow, if you think about Someone like David Berkowitz, the son of Sam, Mm. saying he got his messaging from dogs. 
And it's just, you keep going back. And actually, I invite the listeners to go and watch movies that don't even have Jim Carrey in them. And look at how significant some of the dog roles are in certain movies and what that could possibly represent. I did end my series by taking the listeners on a tour of Jim Carrey's personal residence on Zillow. And there is a lot of interesting, very interesting things you can see on Zillow at Jim Carrey's residence. And I'll it's give everyone sale? the address if they want to look it up. Is his house currently for sale? It must be because you can see all of his, he has all of his costumes encased in glass all over the house. You know, it's Jim Carrey's house. He has all of his own personal Jim Carrey artwork on all the walls. And for those of you who are wondering, it's 615 North Tiger Tail Road in Los Angeles. And what you'll see in there is actually Jim Carrey's personal altar room. And if you think I'm shitting you, I'm fucking not. It's a complete altar room, mirrors on the ceiling, mirrors on the floor, marble statues. I'm talking about figure black obsidian figures. I'm talking about purple towels and random sinks in the middle of the the room that have no business being there. It's a whole altar room in the middle of Jim Carrey's house. I'm I'm going to say the address one more time. It's 615 North Tiger Tail Road in Los Angeles. You can go on Zillow and see it for yourself. I'm not making this shit up. You can do it right now. Yeah. Weird. And I remember when Dark Crimes came out, I definitely was kind of like shocked by Jim's older appearance now. He's kind of graying a bit. Mm -hmm. But, you know, given what you saw on Zillow, do you think there's any chance that Jim Carrey like is involved with any like really dark type of occultism? Or do you think like because he was on Oprah talking about the law of attraction and maybe maybe mm -hmm. like the, the fluffy new age side of that stuff. But do you think that's kind of like a cover that a lot of these people hide behind? I think that there is an aspect of guilt by association. I also think there's an aspect of him that's very esoteric in nature. I know they tried to blame him for his girlfriend's suicide. They said that he knew he had herpes and he knew he had HPV or something like that, or or he knew he had hepatitis C and he still had sex with her and she found out that she now had herpes or da-da-da. And that led her to kill herself because she couldn't live knowing that he did that to her. I... I really have researched the shit out of it, and I don't think that he had anything to do with it, but there is a certain darkness that has followed him throughout his life. I think he's just broken to some degree, and he had this lecture that he did at a college. It was a, like a metaphysical type of lecture, and he said a lot of very profound things in that lecture, and I feel like in his soul, he's crying out to be heard and he's crying out to expose Hollywood and he just wants to heal himself. And I feel like he's taking a lot of time to do that since he's been put through the grinder for the last 10 or 15 years. Mm. Yeah. And it definitely feels like his, uh, 
career has kind of trickled out a bit with the whole Sonic the Hedgehog franchise and him playing Dr. Eggman, which I don't know if there's some sort of occult analysis of that. I've always seen Dr. Eggman as like a goofy looking anime villain. Nothing really too complicated about him. And I think, like I said before, he's been used as a pawn in someone else's game for mm. a very long time. And I think he's getting hip to that shit. And he's coming out and talking about the Illuminati and all of this stuff. And I mean, even going back to like 1997, if we're revisiting Liar Liar, something that stood out to me about that movie is that when his son makes the wish on the birthday cake and he blows out the candle, there's a wide shot of the camera panning from Max sitting at the table and it goes over and up to a cuckoo clock and it shows the time, the exact time that Max made the wish, the magical wish, Mm. and it's 8.15. And if you add 8 and 15, of course, you get 23. And so we see this arc of similar patterns in a lot of his movies. And is it by design on his part? Probably not. But is it by design on Hollywood's part? Probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely interesting too. Uh, I, you mentioned him trying out for Saturday Night Live, not getting it and going on in Living Color instead. He hosted Saturday Night Live a couple times, so maybe got a chance to see what it was like. But then in 2020, he played Joe Biden on Saturday Night Live for six episodes. I know. Which, it's weird. Well, and I wonder, obviously, like, politics doesn't seem to be something he's all that outspoken about, aside from, like, the vaccine situation, which good on him. But I wonder if maybe he's been quiet because I wonder. I mean, I don't want to assume or apply my own you know thoughts to him but i wonder how he felt about trump and it's interesting because saturday night live just like every other mainstream media outlet just made fun of trump as much as possible and to a a level i think we'd never seen before with a president it felt like it was like an attack right and uh and then they've gone very light and back to the status quo tame with a president like Biden, same way they did with Obama and others, where it's like fun, humorous, but nothing too serious. So I wonder maybe what his thoughts on on that were with Joe Biden. Have you looked into his political thoughts? Actually, he had a Twitter. He had his own website called jimcarry.com or something along those lines where he sold his own personal artwork. He was actually a presence on social media for a long time. And then out of nowhere, boom, just like that. Twitter deleted, Facebook deleted, Instagram deleted, jimcarry.com deleted. You can't find anywhere to contact Jim Carrey. And actually, I Googled where does Jim Carrey accept his fan mail? Because I'm sure he still gets fan mail, even though it's been forever long. And the address popped up of the tiger tail. And I Googled it and it's his personal residence. So he accepts fan mail to his personal residence in Los Angeles. 
And the only way that I found that Tiger Tail address is by Googling where does Jim Carrey get his fan mail? It's not like widely advertised that that's his address. But if you put it in Zillow, you find out that it's his home. And like I said, all of his artwork is on every wall. It's very Jim Carrey-esque in there. But he actually painted a portrait of Queen Elizabeth and he has it hanging above his mantle in his master bedroom. That's what he wakes up to and looks at every morning. Oh my God. Yeah, I was going to ask you about his art and if you could see any weirdness about his actual work where with his there, you know, paintings. There's mental illness times 10 going on with his artwork. He actually has another piece of art that he painted where I don't know if it's a self-portrait or if it was James Dean or what it was, but it was a guy in a leather jacket kind of like popping his collar. And then he has graffiti written on it and it says, he's so funny. Somebody should stop him. And there's this interesting aspect of mental illness in his paintings, almost as if he wishes he wasn't Jim Carrey anymore. Yeah. Wow. But the altar room, whoa. Maybe that, that explains. Got me so off guard, I was not prepared for the altar room. Yeah. Well, maybe that explains why he's selling his house because it's like a shrine to Jim Carrey and like who he used to be. Yeah. Wow. And mm -hmm. I wondered about that, like if he's gone off the grid and he's living in some kind of yurt somewhere, because there's an interview with him on what, 60 Minutes or something where they're like asking about what he thought of life. And it did feel like there was some sort of predatory editing with that interview where maybe they cut some of the deeper things out that he was saying to make him look like he was just all over the place. And that's got to mm -hmm. contribute to mental illness if you're trying to be coherent and then they just screw with you constantly and no one knows who you really are. Yeah, and they do these weird hack job edits where right. they don't include the entire statement that he says and they just put the weird parts in there to make him look delusional. And I actually watched an interview where he went on someone's podcast and he was saying these really super deep kind of esoteric value systems that he has and what and he was bearing his soul to these guys and they were sitting around a, a round table and anything that he would say they would just go huh hmm oh okay and as a host hosting my own podcast i felt like the interview they they were conducting was to make him look mentally ill. Wow. Yeah, that's, and you got to wonder with these actors, if they, if their agents act more like handlers in that mm. sense, where like he's a guy that maybe like the Truman Show kind of has this genuine quality to him that makes him more manipulatable by people yes, like yeah, these I think managers so where they're mm -hmm. like, oh, you want to go and bear your soul on a podcast? Yeah, let me find the right one. And then they find Cornball and the dumbasses to interview him instead of, he could be on <laughs> Coast to Coast AM, which I don't agree with that show all the time, but it's a great 
platform for these sort of alternative views. And yeah, I'm sure they'd love he to have him. He belongs on a more conspiratorial podcast, Sam in Tripoli. my opinion. He belongs <laughs> on My Family Thinks I'm Crazy. He belongs on Tinfoil Hat or Cosmic Peach or whatever flavor you subscribe to. He belongs on one of those podcasts. I feel like if I ever had the honor of interviewing someone like Jim Carrey, I would have had like lists of questions and probe him and draw information out of him and just let him speak freely. But I feel like every time they interview him, it's the same, very boring, very vague and droll kind of Let's not push the envelope too hard, Jim. Don't say anything too crazy, Jim. And how long can you live like that before you snap? And I think that's what we're seeing from him. Yeah. Yeah. And his story just strikes me as so genuine, like as far as taking five person family from basically the streets of Canada and elevating them. I'm sure his family's all set now as far as money goes and whatnot. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's a he's a real, I'm, I know he's an American, but he's sort of an American success story in that sense, a Canadian success story. And yeah, wow, I, I love... I love that about him, but I think that's what Hollywood hates about him too because those types mm-hmm. are not blue collar. They're not pull them up by their bootstraps. They despise people like that. And you have and this- they despise how much hope he mm-hmm. could give someone else because growing up like that, being homeless, doing comedy gigs for free, building your way up. Ooh, I caught a break. I'm in this movie. I made the most of it. Now I'm in this movie, this movie, this movie. And people loved him. Like they loved him. And it's not that his family was, you look at Nicolas Cage. A lot of people love Nicolas Cage. Nicolas Cage was going to be famous no matter what because of the Coppola family. You look at a lot of these guys and there's just levels to this shit. But Jim Carrey's one of these hope stories that they love to tear the fuck down any chance they get. Yeah. Yeah, it's really rough. And I wonder how lonely it can feel when you're that famous, right? Because how many mm-hmm. how many people can you really relate with? Are there any like comments you've found from his peers, any actors that have had any statements about him that are telling? A lot of people adore him. He was in a relationship with a lot of the female love interests that he played roles with. He was in a relationship with the the lady from Dumb and Dumber. He was in a relationship with Renee Zellweger. He was in um, a relationship with Jenny McCarthy. And it's not like he has made an ass of himself with his marriages or dating life. I feel like the, the most obscure ass thing you can find is the suicide. But I don't think that's actually related to him at all i think she she was just mentally ill and kind of killed herself but tommy lee jones when they were making batman forever actually said that it was very hard to work with jim carrey because he was too goofy and he couldn't be serious and tommy lee jones was like we're here to work and then he I think he said he was a buffoon is what he said. But I've never really heard anything from another actor or even his ex-wife's 
ex-girlfriends, anything like that, where they've been like, yeah, no, there's this a whole other dark side. Mm. I've never heard that. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird, actually, because if you look at it on surface level, everybody actually thinks he's either really funny or just like a total pleasure to be around. Wow. Mm -hmm. It sounds like he's balanced from that perspective, but... I wonder maybe if the art is enough for him to sort of vent out that craziness so it doesn't affect his social life. Yeah, and I think people should actually go if they haven't already and listen to the lecture he did at the college Mm. to the graduating class. He said a lot of really profound things, and he said that his father was a better comedian than he was. But his father was too scared to even try to make an effort into making comedy a full-time career. And his message was, if you can fail at something you hate doing, then you might as well try doing something that you love. Right. And that's another thing that I feel like as a podcaster, I told you earlier, I would love to do this full-time. It's something that I have a lot of passion in. And I really enjoy, but I have a nine to five job until something like that was to happen for me. So if you take Jim Carrey's advice, if you can fail at being clinician at a fucking doctor's office, you might as well try to be a podcaster because that's going to bring you so much more joy and hope and like connect you with so many really like-minded people that share your same values. And that's, that's what I look at too. If you can fucking fail at your nine to five job and get fired, you might as well try for something that you're actually passionate about. I love that. Wow. And that's a great place to leave off for now. I'd love to have you back on to, to go further into more deep dives and whether it's Jim Carrey related. I'm shocked full of shit. You ain't been ready for it. (laughs) Well, and I love it. And I think you're right on with that approach. And I'll encourage you to take the leap to try to do it full time because I I did that myself and it worked. So Mm -hmm. best of luck. And I really, really enjoyed speaking with you today, Julia. So Jim Carrey, definitely someone that we haven't even scratched the surface of i think with this conversation we just kind of gave people the right direction to go in first stop check out the cosmic peach podcast uh you have a patreon where you even go you know deeper going into this whole enigma that is jim carrey so the links to that will be in the description but uh, anything else you want to promote before we start to wrap up here no, I mean, I think I'm I'm pretty well shadow banned on Instagram, but you can follow it or try to anyways. I'm cosmic.peach.podcast on Instagram. I put a few episodes out on YouTube. Not that much, though, because they usually end up taking my shit off. So if you want all the biscuits and gravy, just go over to the Patreon because you're going to get the full versions of the episode stuff that they want to take off. You're going to get bonus episodes, all of that. I just got to a point where I was so tired of having episodes removed or content removed that I needed to put it somewhere where I could just say what I really needed to say and not be scared that I was going to look two weeks later and the episode be gone. So, but yes, definitely. Thank you so much, Mark, for having me. It's been a long time coming. I know that we both have a lot of similar friends, but we're finally 
meeting each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah, indeed. And uh, yeah, like I said, let's do this again. We'll have you back on and maybe go further into the whole Jim Carrey enigma. But until next time, folks, follow up with the Cosmic Peach podcast. Support Julia so she can be free, sovereign, and self-sufficient. I'll say I make a lot less money than I did before I quit my job, but to your point and to the credit of what you said, I'm a lot happier than I was when I was working my my full-time job. So I'm with you all the way. I encourage you. And uh, with that, listeners, if you're out there working a job you hate, do something you love. Why not try if you're already failing at what you hate? Try failing at what you love. And with that, immerse yourself in the moment wherever you are in the now. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in to this episode of the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast with Julia, not Julie. Uh, Although I guess that wasn't totally incorrect. I'm glad she was very polite about uh, correcting me. I felt bad. Uh, I had a Sam Tripoli moment, I guess you could say. But uh, yeah, Julia did great. Uh, I was totally expecting something darker from Jim Carrey. I don't know why, especially after I reviewed some of his interviews and whatnot today, uh, the day after I conducted this interview. And yeah, I'm finding a lot of things about Jim Carrey that I resonate with as far as what he says. But hey, that could just be outward appearances. Who knows? Maybe he's in some kind of secret cult. Uh, The only information in regards to his spiritual beliefs that I was able to glean or gleam uh, was a comment about Eckhart Tolle, which... I'm not totally against Eckhart Tolle, but I think it's, you know, with the channeling, it's a lot of the same message, you know, Uh, and it's a powerful message. I mean, don't get me wrong. It helped me at a certain point in my life. I just don't live my life, particularly hanging on the words of channelers. You know, the advice I got from that source at that time was useful and i think the law of attraction is real i mean we've done episodes about it on this show that's another thing that jim carrey allegedly that's a part of his spiritual belief system so yeah i'm fascinated by jim i'm excited to hear the audience's thoughts on jim carrey and if you want to hear more uh analysis obviously you can go to julia's podcast where she's done a four-part deep dive with uh companion patreon episodes well for my patreon supporters i'm also doing a little deep dive of my own okay that's me clicking my pen so doing some deep dives talking about the weird through line of moon symbolism Uh, with Jim Carrey and obviously Julia mentioned the whole dog star thing so I might even throw in some info about that for the extended outro for the supporters this episode was too short unfortunately I had two podcasts scheduled back to back so I wasn't able to go over the two hour mark I really don't want to cut out parts of the podcast if the show's less than two hours um 
because I still want to give you folks, uh, you know, at least an hour and a half of free episode, but the supporters are going to get at least an extra hour. So for this episode, might be a little shorter, but it's definitely more for your dollar if you decide to support the show and we need it, folks. Come on now. I'm over here putting out episodes twice a week still. Yeah, we just put out one episode last week, okay? I just needed a little break. But we're back to our usual pace. Two episodes a week. We cannot slow down. There are haters, imitators, posers, and fakers out there. And I'm not paying any attention to any of that. If you want to leave a five-star rating and review a kind review i will read it on the show and we got one because this audience is just so freaking cool and so many folks have answered my call to sign up for the patreon 10 people just in the past week we're at 170 patrons if you want to be a part of the uh the wave that is signing up for the patreon do it now be one of the the first 250 supporters be there on the ground floor. You will always be remembered in the halls of fame of the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast if you sign up now, okay? So don't don't be shy. Get in there while the getting's good. We're putting out bonus episodes. There's episodes that are only going to be available on the Patreon. There's episode extensions, as I already mentioned. And I'm going to be doing super early releases. For example, my interview with Paul Stobbs which I did one with him that was absolutely a smash hit people loved it so I had him back on the show for another episode and uh, yeah that's only going to be available on the Patreon so go over there now check that out it'll probably be out in a month or so towards Halloween because yeah why not it's sort of a sort of a spooky episode, but I love it. We got a review from someone all the way out in Ireland, which just shows how much this show has grown. We're doing well in other countries. Shout out to all my friends and brothers and sisters in Ireland. Shout out to you, brothers. So uh, my man says, or my lady says, I think it's my man because his name's Odin. Uh, Fun and interesting in the same vein as Tinfoil Hat by Sam Tripoli. This is a great cast for learning about some of the thoughts and perspectives from outside the mainstream. I just lost the Irish accent. I won't do that to you guys. You guys are not a stereotype. You're a proud nation. I love Ireland. I want to go there. People say it's really cool. Um, So anyways, he says about some of the thoughts and perspectives from outside of the mainstream yes thank you well-produced informative guests and an inquisitive host highly recommended thank you odin rock on um so yeah right on and i did mention i think in my episode with juan that we got a negative review about the jfk episode so don't be dismayed uh you're in luck if you haven't already listened i put out an episode with ole damagard about JFK. So trying to balance the scales there. I don't I don't want to go too far off the deep end. But uh anyways, yeah, things are good and I am happy to see 
the show growing. Thank you so much, folks, for tuning in. And please, please do support the show, whether it's with a one-time donation on Cash App, Venmo, PayPal, or however else you want to do it. Crypto, buy me a coffee, Ko-Fi. You can buy merch. I'm going to be putting out a new promo code. Use the promo code CRAZY on the merch store and get 15% off at checkout, whatever you want. Shout out to the Hit Kit, the number one way to get lit. Thoughts and prayers to Garrett's uh, CNC machine because he needs a new laser. So hopefully we'll we'll get that soon. Maybe send him a one-time donation. Shout out to the Hit Kit. Uh, Garrett's a real G. And uh, yeah, shout out to all you mother effers supporting us on the Patreon and the Substack. You are my people. And I do appreciate it. So if you're not there yet, I understand. If you really, really, really want to support the show, but you can't afford it, just send me an email. I'll hook you up with a free trial on Substack. Um, But I'd really like to see more people support the show. So if you can do that, you know who you are. You know who can do it. You want more of the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. So take the leap now. Well, the getting's good. And uh, yeah, also, you won't hear me chirp on about all the ads and the promotion stuff because for the supporters now, all of the episodes are going to be separate. So the intro and the outro section, I'm going to record separately. So for the Patreon people, they're going to get an entirely different uh, show in that sense. Same conversation. Um, There may be parts taken out for, you know, to, to keep it exclusive like I did with the last episode with Ole um, and I had to do it with a guy like him I mean he's a champion I want to I want people to hear that show and be like damn this was great I gotta support Mark he's taking a risk putting this information out there I'm gonna support him so if, if you're someone who listened to that Ole episode and you supported the show to hear the extended edition I love it thank you so much for doing that And uh, with that, folks, I'll see you next time. Immerse yourself in the moment wherever you are in the now. Extraterrestrial, trying to stay human in a cesspool of professionals. But I confess too much off of the tongue. All my aunties and my uncles shield the ears of the young. I be saying shit and they don't know where it's coming from. In like a hundred years, we went saw a bomb before guns. Check the facts, check the fed, check the stars. Stanley Mines was murked for a water fuel cell car. They each they own, you can stick with your old ways. But eat the rich, you drink the motherfucking Kool Aid. And I can see the red on your lip stain. White skin, blue collar, pure American made. Fuck it. Keep your blood so heritage And run the soul off the moon landed narrative Yeah, my girl thinks that I'm embarrassing My folks think I'm nuts but never question the parenting Stuck in bed so my boss thinks I'm lazy Connecting dots but it's all kinda hazy Come on, you in the net feeling like I'm Dick Tracy My pap thinks I'm un-American and shady I'm feeling unhinged lately Encounters of the fifth kind on the daily You could tell me that the president's an alien It wouldn't phase me My family thinks I'm crazy
might think that I'm off in the deep end One too many Netflix docs on the weekends But check the budget for our military defense Tell me we ain't scared of something not within reason Steel beams, another 1492 And 9-11 was the red, white, and blue And you be lit off the floor, riding ain't got a clue All your dreams just shit on a Rockefeller shoes Don't believe a damn thing a politician ever said Ain't one brick left to go up in the Fed They still got bricks of cocaine to make crap Oxy's killing the working class, FDA's whack Talking like this, got kids talking behind backs Too much to unpack, so they talk smack And I'm just trying to converse with my clan But it ain't fan, so I'm here setting up camp Stuck in bed, so my boss thinks I'm lazy Connecting dots, but it's all kinda hazy I'm on the internet, feeling like I'm Dick Tracy My pack thinks I'm un-American and shady yeah, I'm feeling unhinged lately Encounters of the fifth kind on the daily You can tell me that the president's an alien It wouldn't phase me My family thinks I'm crazy Anything out, so you know, maybe I am. <laughs>